Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-pronged theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together. We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about pain for a purpose in childbirth. And we have Judith Lothian talking with us. And truth be told, I've been chasing her down, and I'm so excited to finally get a chance to speak with her. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Judith. Judith Lothian, Ph.D., R.N., F.A.A.N., is a graduate chair and professor at the Graduate Department of College of Nursing at Seton Hall University. Dr. Lothian has been a maternal child nurse, childbirth educator, and an advocate for birthing women for over four decades. The focus of her practice has been childbirth education. She is currently the chair of the Certification Council for Lamaze International that is responsible for the developing international certification examination for Lamaze certified childbirth educators. She is also the associate editor of the Journal of Perinatal Education and writes a regular column for the Journal of Perinatal Education. Her advocacy work includes national leadership positions in Lamaze International and national work with Childbirth Connection, the American College of Nurse Midwives, and the Coalition for Improving Maternity Services. Dr. Lothian is the co-author of the official Lamaze guide, Giving Birth with Confidence. Thank you so much for joining me, Judith. I really appreciate you taking the time. I think right now you're off in Montana with your grandkids, so I appreciate you carving some time out for me. Welcome to my show. 
Well, I'm delighted to be here, and um, I've been looking forward to it for for a while. (laughs) Wonderful. So I'm going to jump in and just ask a little bit about what got you started on the path to being a childbirth educator and your deep involvement with the Lamaze Institute. Ah, a long story that goes back a very long way. When I was a nursing student, um, that was back in the days where women were strapped down to have their babies and everybody got twilight sleep and um, it took women 24 hours to realize they had had a baby. They were so drugged and of course the babies were drugged too. But I had a clinical instructor who happened to be a midwife and um, lo and behold, a woman came in, quote, using Lamaze. Her husband was with her and she had a beautiful natural birth and this goes back to the late 60s. And the instructor you know, shepherded us all into the, uh, quote, delivery room. And I tucked it in the back of my mind and said, when I have babies, this is the way I'm going. I'm going to do it. Um, I actually worked as a pediatric intensive care nurse um, in the early days of my career. But after I had my first baby, I was sold. I used Lamaze. I loved it. Um, Being a mother and the whole birth experience transformed me in many ways. And um, I guess the rest is history. (laughs) Have you seen Lamaze change through the years, the, the method and the system? Oh, oh, absolutely. In the early years, it was, it was very, very basic. It was, let's avoid twilight sleep. Um, let's be awake and aware when we have our babies. Um, let's try to have our husbands or support people with us. But hospitals were very different. There were no routine IVs. There was no routine continuous electronic fetal monitoring. If you could get your husband with you, and you could avoid scopolamine. You were home free. Um, people didn't restrict you to bed. You were, um, it, it was in some ways easier to have a baby then if you knew what you wanted than it is now. Yeah, it's a lot more uh, routine Lamaze, interventions. Yeah, so Lamaze, Lamaze changed. I mean, initially it was information so that education, so that you knew that this was an option to, to have a medication-free birth, and then a number of still very effective comfort measures, including conscious breathing and relaxation. And that's what we had, and it worked absolutely, absolutely beautifully. I think over the years, um, as women, more and more women have had normal births, natural births, we have learned from their experiences, and now there's a full array of comfort measures, um, ways to, ways to cope with contractions as they increase in intensity over, over labor. Um, so that gone are the days of the restrictive, this is the way you breathe to, to have a Lamaze baby to a much more open, um, um, body awareness and, um, appreciating the normal natural course of labor, being reluctant to interfere unless this medical, um, a true, true medical indication and, um, and being able to follow your body all the way, all the way through labor with a variety of, um, comfort measures. It's funny. A lot of people, when I tell them I'm a, I'm a Lamaze teacher or I do a private session with them, sometimes the partner pulls me aside. They're like, we haven't learned the secret breathing yet. And I'm like, Cause I think people right. relate <laughs> and I'm like, we don't really do that anymore. So it's funny yeah, what people relate I, absolutely. to. Absolutely. That happens in the, in the teacher training seminars that we do in New York City. Um, sometimes it's a three-day seminar, and we get to the last hour of the third day, and someone says, 
breathing. <laughs> like, okay, here we go. Remember to breathe. Exactly. It's very important. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. well, thanks for sharing a little bit about the Lamaze Institute history. So let's talk a little bit about pain for a purpose in childbirth. So can you start by just talking about the three major hormones of labor and the importance of balancing them to ensure labor is functional? Yeah. Um, um, uh, before that, I just want to, one brief statement that mm-hmm. in the early days of Lamaze, I remember very clearly teaching and uh, a gentleman in the class saying, um, he happened to be a physicist and very thoughtful. And he said, pain, I don't get why it's there. I said, ah, it's an unnecessary, you know, it's a, it's a side effect of a big baby getting through a small space. It really is just, um, it's something we have to deal with. The notion of pain with a purpose um, was very foreign, would have been very foreign to us in the 70s and 80s. It was much, um, it's an un, pain is, an un, is, is a side effect that we just have to deal with in a normal labor, um, the result of this big baby getting through a small space. And lo and behold, the years go by and we begin to learn more, not just about the mechanics of labor, effacement and dilatation and descent and rotation, but now we learn the tremendous breakthrough in our understanding of birth, the whole hormonal orchestration of labor. So, of course, the major hormone is oxytocin, and the beautiful thing that happens as as labor, as um, in latent pregnancy before labor starts on its own, is the uterus becomes increasingly sensitive to oxytocin, so that when labor starts on its own, the, the uterus responds to the naturally occurring oxytocin, and if women can cope with the pain that comes with increasingly stronger contractions, eventually endorphins are released. And endorphins, of course, are the hormone that actually allows women to actually create and sort of an altered state of consciousness for women where they get in the zone, where they become increasingly focused and increasingly able to to roll with those super, super strong contractions. The interesting thing is if you take away the pain, and this woman, for instance, would have an epidural, we never, two things happen. The naturally occurring pitocin um, levels decrease. The the body doesn't continue to churn out that oxytocin. And the woman never gets the relief of this of this naturally occurring endorphin, which sometimes is referred to as nature's narcotic. So we don't understand the mechanism completely, but for some reason, the pain is an integral part of this process. You take away the pain and you interrupt, you interfere with this, this, this cycle of oxytocin release, strong contraction, message up to the brain, give more oxytocin. Eventually the levels get high enough for the endorphin release and and things keep going. So when you take away the pain, you interrupt the normal the normal course of labor um, in, in rather dramatic ways. Interestingly, if women get Pitocin now um, to stimulate contraction, say after an epidural, um, there isn't, the Pitocin doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier so that women do not have the benefit of this wonderful naturally occurring endorphins. And um, it's why women who have their labors augmented or induced with Pitocin have a much more difficult time. They don't have nature's, um, nature's way of helping them cope with these these really tough contractions. Mm-hmm. I actually um, remember learning that when I was talking to Dr. Sarah Buckley. I didn't realize that... Um, 
the pit doesn't, the pitocin doesn't cross the brain barrier. And that made complete sense because then they don't get that, that endorphin release. So can you also mention how adrenaline, that third major hormone plays in? Let's see. Um, yeah, Michelle O'Donnell does that, makes some nice analogies with this one. Um, early in labor, um, he, he makes the analogy of um, animals in the wild, that um, a mama lion early in labor, if she senses danger, labor shuts down and she moves to a space of, of, of safety. Um, however, and, and the same thing happens with human beings, I mean, with women, that um, feeling safe allows this all of these hormones to work very, very nicely together. Um, if indeed this woman on, a, on any level senses danger and is afraid, um, is frightened, um, does not feel safe in any way, then labor will shut down. This is typically what we, what we see when women have a lovely labor moving along nicely and, at home and then go to a hospital. And she thinks the hospital is a place of safety on an intellectual level, but on a deep, primitive level, her body is screaming, unsafe, unsafe, strange smile, pardon me, strange, sometimes strange smiles, strange, strange smells, strangers, lack of privacy, and, uh, and labor can shut down. I think a lot of what the docs refer to as dysfunctional labors are really, this woman is in a fight or flight mode. She, she's so that the adrenaline can really slow down and stop labor completely. Um, again, which is why really good labor support and privacy are so important. Interestingly, late in labor, um, um, adrenaline can a actually facilitates that last bit of labor. So as the head hits the perineum um, and those last few intense contractions, that mama lion in the wild, now at this point, it is in the best interest of this mother and baby to get this baby out quickly. So she gets a huge surge of adrenaline and baby gets out and then she can take her baby to, to, to someplace safe if she is, um, if she has sensed danger. Same thing happens in women. I mean, um, that there's at the end, get this baby out, this huge surge of adrenaline with it comes a huge surge of energy. So even women who have had labors that have been very, very long and very intense will, will all of a sudden be bright and, and alert and ready to greet their baby. But what I think is so really interesting is that baby is also born with a tremendous amount of adrenaline in the good sense of the word. So this baby is now bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, also benefits from mother's endorphin levels. So baby has relatively high endorphin levels, which allow baby to not just be alert and awake and ready to interact with the environment, but to do it in a relatively calm, focused way. Um, so baby benefits just as much as, as mama does from this being able to keep, keep the concert of, of, um, of hormones going throughout labor. Yeah, I've seen the difference um, in babies that really there's a sense of just bright eyes and looking around and very alert. So how does the epidural uh, disturb that, that function, the three hormones working well? Uh, well, um, the first thing that happens is, is again, that's that idea that we have, the sense that we have that the pain, the pain is whatever's happening on, on a cellular level, the pain actually needs to be there for the signals to keep going back to the brain to continue to release oxytocin. Um, so the oxytocin 
the oxytocin flow gets interrupted, which means now that this woman will be augmented with Pitocin. Um, and, and that then is going to interfere with the endorphin release. And then um, what about the, the uh, adrenaline release towards the end? Does she still get that? No, she does not. She does not. Remember, at the end, she's not feeling any pain. So right. every, everything gets interrupted. So it really every, does hinder the progress. It hinders the progress of labor tremendously. And it also has, um, and Sarah Buckley touches on this, um, it, it, it also then now interferes with, with the baby, the baby's capabilities when the baby is born. This is a baby who has a, a harder, more difficult time adjusting to this new environment. Um, because he doesn't have the either the endorphins or the or the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So how can we help women to trust the pain and to listen to their body's desire to move and moan and breathe and in some way not be embarrassed by it? I've seen some women get a little shy about how they want to make sound and, and people telling them like, just be quiet. I actually had a nurse say, you're scaring the other people. Like, so how do we help women trust oh. that? Oh, I think I think I think that that is very typical of what of what many nurses say. Or they'll say you're using you're using energy uselessly. You're going to get tired doing that. That doesn't help. Um, I think I think that the first thing is having a nice discussion about the incredible this incredible system, this incredible hormonal orchestration. I've never met a woman who wasn't kind of blown away by the by the whole idea. And then of course has, there has to be the discussion of the, the critical piece of how do you manage the increasingly, the increasingly strong contractions. And that's when we get into moaning, crying, walking, talking, all the, the incredible ways we now have of being, being able to do this. And then we have to have the discussion, which doesn't happen, um, in all childbirth classes, and I wish it did, which is let's talk about what you're going to find when you actually go to wherever you're having your baby. And if you're going to a typical typical hospital, this is the nurse you're going to run into. These are the things that may make it more difficult for you, and these are the ways that you can that you can um, that you can deal with it. If it's if it's as simple as closing the door, saying you don't want people in and out constantly. Um, and then ignoring, and of course the other alternative is bringing a doula who is a tremendous, tremendous support, both for the mother's support person, whether that's, you know, husband, partner, um, friend, mother, um, yeah, tremendous, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've talked to my students about finding people that can hold the space for the mom because she shouldn't have to be the one to tell the nurse or whoever, like, I need my space, please don't judge me. And I call it, I have some terms, I call it circling the wagon where you have your support people kind of enclose mom and hold her space. Um, but some people have a hard time thinking about who should be at their birth and, and how to orchestrate all that. So I guess just have to think really hard about how to choose your birth posse. I, th- I think that's extremely important. I mean, and of course, we can back up and say it's probably the most important decisions are place of birth and healthcare provider. I mean, if, if you've made wise decisions and you have a doctor and midwife and, and a hospital that whose philosophy is um, 
is consistent with what we're talking about now and really values the work that women do in labor and um, they're not quick to take away the pain um, and they're very, very supportive of, of women in labor, um, then you're, you're home free. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's not typically the case um, for women in the United States at the moment. Um, so being able to have people with you who are confident in this woman's ability to give birth, who are not frightened by the whole experience themselves is, um, um, is very, very important. And, and, and I love the expression, I'm holding this, the space or circling the wagons <laughs> to protect this woman in labor. Um, yeah. And if you, if you look across time and cultures, I mean, this is, this is what's always been done is, um, other women have circled the wagons so that the woman in labor can do what she needs, what she needs to do. Um, well, how would you advise the partner if they haven't seen birth? It could be really, for my experience as a doula, uh, and granted I was the, one of the support people, sometimes the partners get really overwhelmed, uh, and scared by seeing the tremendous power of labor and the person they love writhing through this contraction, sometimes really beautifully, really handling the, but you know, in a rarely, um, almost in a primal way. And they were beautiful yeah. contractions, but the, the support person can get scared. And I found actually a few times they're the ones that sometimes actually mention, you know, do you want pain medication? So what would you say for the partner? Well, I think it's important to have this discussion ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to say, and, and I, I found things like role playing and I have to say, I love Penny Simpkins comfort measures for labor. Um, the last section where you actually see women having a really, really tough time and the, the wonderful support that they're getting. Sometimes I'll show tiny clips of that, um, not long clips, but I think you can, I think by role playing, you can get, you can get a lot across and basically say, expect that you may have these feelings, but it's okay. It's okay. And she'll let you know when she's, when it's not, When it's, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go. I wanted to talk about one of your articles I read. Um, There's a quote, and it's, in a very real sense, the pain of each contraction becomes a guide for the laboring woman. And I I thought that was beautiful. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like what you meant Uh, by that? Yeah, I, I, it's, um, if we think that part of what's happening in labor is that, well, we know part of what's happening in labor is the baby is rotating and descending and of course, the cervix is is dilating and effacing, and so with every contraction, I mean, typically, typically with pain, we move. Um, whether it's you know the pain of being uncomfortable in an airplane seat on a long flight, um, uh, you know, turning over in in bed in the middle of the night, you begin to get uncomfortable and you change your position, you move, and in labor, our sense is that as women move in direct response to what they're feeling, think in terms of the uncomfortable airplane seat, in direct response to what they're feeling, the ba- it facilitates this baby movement, whether it's underneath the, the front bone of the pelvis, engagement, the further descent. Um, it's um, and, and when we say, as a nurse or a doula or a partner, we say, Oh, remember to keep moving. Well, yes, that's important. But moving in response to what she's actually feeling is even more is even more valuable. 
Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between pain and suffering in childbirth? Because I do believe there's two different camps there. Oh, I think that, I think there's a, a, a huge difference, a huge difference. I think that, I think that women, that, that suffering has an emotional component, um, that's, and, and maybe an emotional component doesn't, doesn't say it in a deep enough way where women feel abandoned and they have no way of feeling that they can get themselves out of this abandonment. They're by themselves with this pain that they don't know, that they can't handle and they are abandoned and emotionally, um, adrift, adrift perhaps. Um, and, and, but if women are well supported, they know that they're cared for they know that they're loved. They know that they're not alone, that somebody is there, is there with them. They know that there's an end to this. They know the purpose of it. I think it, it's, this is, this isn't suffering. This isn't suffering. Yeah. So what if a woman feels like she's starting to cross to that suffering? What can the support posse do or the woman do? Uh, well, I, I think, I think it's much easier if there's somebody there to pull you out of the abyss, mm-hmm. um, to say, we're here for you. Um, my, uh, one of my daughters had her second baby, um, March 10th, actually. <laughs> and at one point it was quite, I, it was, she was already fully dilated. Um, we assume, but our midwife doesn't do internals all the time. But anyway, Anne is like, that's it. I can't do it. I can't do it. No, I am not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I just grabbed her hand and said, Anne, you are doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. You can, you are, I'm here. Your husband's here. Everybody's here for you. We're, you're doing it. No, I can't. Yes, you're doing it. So in some ways it's being directive, but it's also being, being, being loving, um, at, at the same time. And, and it becomes, you are not alone. You're not alone. We're not thrown by this. We are, we're here with you and everything is going the way it's supposed to be going. Um, and, and that's sometimes, that's an important point because sometimes there's a, it can be so intense that women will think something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. This can't be right. And to have, to have, to be surrounded by people who say, wow, this is fantastic. You are doing beautifully. These are great contractions. Um, can be, can be uplifting. Yeah. I actually had a a client start to look for her shoes and put her shoes on and say, I'm done. I'm going home. And she was, I I knew she was around transition and I'm like, okay, can we just stay and have the baby? And then she's looked at me with this, this overwhelming sad look. And she's like, okay, we can. I, I love in the business of being born where Ricky Lake in her own labor says she hears the am- she hears an ambulance and she goes, that's my lifeline. Get me out of here. Yeah, that's my ride. I, Come pick me yeah, up. Yeah, that's my ride. That's my ride. Yeah. So how can a yeah. woman identify pain that's purposeful rather as something that's like back labor or something is truly wrong? Uh, well, I think this is, again, listening to your body, following your body and doing whatever you need to do to be, to be comfortable. Um, yeah, to be, to be comfortable. And I think that, that all the way along in labor, whether it's back labor, um, or, you know, posterior, the whole variety of variations that can happen with their, with 
the baby's position that can that can influence the way the woman feels. If if we go back to she is using pain as a guide, then she will use that pain to find to find things that are comfortable. And of course, she's communicating what she's what she's feeling. But I mean, a woman doesn't have to have read a book or sat in a class about back labor if she's if she's feeling her contractions in her back and she has freedom of movement. She will just move in a way till she finds till she finds comfort. I mean. Think about going back thousands of years. There were no childbirth classes. There were no books. And there actually probably weren't women directing other women. There were just women protecting and holding the space so that this woman in labor could do what she needed to do. But the key here is, does she have the freedom to be able to do what she needs to do and to follow her body? Um, that's, that's kind of the key that we worry about in the United States now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that takes a deep trust for her to have in her body to listen to those instincts. Because as you're saying, if the labor is in the back, her instinctual movements will be to move that way. But if right. if there's restriction or a distrust from herself or the place of birth, she may not follow that. You bet. I think I think that's that's really that's really the key. So what advice would you give to a woman who is overwhelmed by the fear of pain and labor because I hear that a lot from students that uh, especially earlier in their pregnancy like they pass the first trimester they're no longer nauseous they're no longer tired and they right. start that second trimester right. and realize okay I'm really pregnant and they start to think about labor and birth and they just get sometimes paralyzed with fear. Yeah, I I think of course the first thing is talking about it understanding what the what the dynamic is the way what we've talked about so far but I think continuing the conversation and um, people often say that women today don't um, don't you know don't tolerate pain in any level and that's ridiculous I mean we tolerate pain whether it's wearing a pair of new shoes will you get a blister um, women who who run I mean I look on that as an outsider and think oh my god that's painful um, you know headaches um, um, you know tremendously high powered jobs and stress and working hard with other young children I mean there is pain that's a part of our life even the pain of sitting in an uncomfortable airplane seat mm-hmm. um, so that having the conversation about you do have pain in your in your life, and how do you deal with it, and how do you cope with it? And sometimes you cope with it well enough that you don't even think you have it. Um, so I think that, that that's part of the conversation. And then, of course, a tremendous amount of time, I think, has to be spent on. These are tried and true ways that women over time and cultures have used to help them stay with those contractions in labor. Um, and um, But... You know, at, at Lamaze, we have we've argued for probably the last two decades that our model of starting childbirth classes in the third trimester, and sometimes as late as six weeks before birth, really is not is not appropriate. I mean, there's so much sort of rethinking that has to happen and building of confidence in 
um, in this, this, this woman and her, her trusting, trusting birth and trusting herself and understanding the system that really childbirth education should start much earlier. I mean, really first trimester. Um, and all of, all of those decisions about when to start classes, um, were, were based on some nursing research that was done maybe 50, 60 years ago that said that women weren't intellectually and emotionally ready to think about labor until two months before birth, which we know women, women today, they are two hours pregnant and they're on the internet and, and checking out every detail of pregnancy and childbirth. And, um, we need a long time to work, to work through this with women, to, to get them to, it's really a change in, a change in thinking, a change Mm -hmm. in understanding from the current culture. And that takes time. Yeah, one Not of, an intellectual decision. Absolutely. I think you'd be happy to hear this. One of the main pillars of the prenatal yoga center is that it's not just the asana, which is all about coping mechanisms, but we interweave childbirth through our classes, childbirth education, and they don't even realize it because it's not like, okay, now I'm sitting down for my class. It's just spoken about throughout like, oh, this is a good position or this is, this is a pain technique. This is a mantra. This is deep breathing. And it starts to create a trust in their body and the process. And they don't even realize they're getting childbirth education. And I think it's digestible that way. You bet. You bet. You bet. Yeah. And my experience has been that yoga teachers like you have figured it out. I mean, you figured it out that this is, this is the model that works. You've got women right from the beginning, if not before pregnancy. And, um, and they also have developed a trusting relationship with you Mm -hmm. and, and you need that relationship for women to, in some ways, come clean with you and what's really in their mind and heart, you know, um, um, that doesn't happen in a class of, um, 15 couples, um, lined up in rows, um, you know, with somebody in front rattling off content. And you, you hit it that it takes time to change our perception of birth because society wise, we have this huge fear of it and it's, it's in the back of our minds, whether we realize it or not. And so now we have to try to remove some of that, that perception and reintroduce instinct and trust. And that that's hard. That's really hard. The, the, the other thing that needs to happen when we think about moving women to a space where they are in some ways trusting the pain and trusting their ability to deal with it is hearing women's stories. Um, and, and we hear the women hear the horror stories, but the women who have had wonderful births, um, transformative births, births that have been, you know, labors that have been really tough and, and they've managed them and, and come through um, are, I've heard women say that they were, they're reluctant to say it to other women, but I mean, those, those stories need to be told. And, and if we go back across time and cultures, those are the stories that kept, that kept women going where their mother or their grandmother would say, aha, mm-hmm. you know, you can expect, mm-hmm. um, so the stories are very, very, very important. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure Pam England's new book is a lot about the birth stories, ancient birth yeah. stories. Yeah. Well, do you have any last minute tips for our listeners who are either thinking of becoming pregnant or currently pregnant and as they approach their birth? Well, I, I, I think my biggest um, tip is, is um, enjoy, enjoy pregnancy, enjoy the birth, um, and enjoy your baby and the whole idea of enjoying as opposed to 
fearing is um, is is a big leap. But it's um, but if you can if you can make it, it makes all it makes all the difference. This is an incredible time in women's lives, and it is to be savored and um, yeah, savored, savored. That's a perfect way of saying it. So I know that you still teach Lamaze, um, the certification. So if people are around and want to study with you, how would they find you? Um, New York city, org, And, um, yeah, we have a rudimentary website, um, <laughs> Or, or they can contact me at jalothian at aol.com and, um, yeah. And come study yeah. with you and hear your brilliance. And, come, and, and, come, and come study with me. Um, I will say that our childbirth education seminars are really a lot of, a lot of fun and, um, um, and attract a tremendous amount of incredibly interesting and, um, and wonderful women. My friend Caprice did her certification with you and she's had just the best things to say. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to thank you for your time and really all you do for the the childbirth world and all the women that are touched by your words. So thank you so much for giving me some time today. Thanks very much, Deb. And thank you for your work for women and their babies. Thank you. I will be in touch. Take care. Okay. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.